following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The days of Elijah have come. Almighty God, as we come into an understanding of what this day is, would you open our hearts to trust you, Lord, 
to know that we're not simply putting our faith in a belief, but in a person. Thank you, Jesus. Make this plain to our hearts today. I pray in your name. Amen. My soul for the last 30 days or so has been in a great deal of turmoil and struggle, agonizing before God. Let me give you just a brief background. My father was a cowboy until he was well past his 30th year, working on the range, working with cattle. And then he met this redhead woman, Orpha. And they wed. Dad was living in a small homemade trailer that he pulled behind a Model A Ford pickup. And mom consented to marry him and move in. This was quite a shock for grandma and grandpa. He was a well-to-do builder. This was not acceptable to them. My father, knowing that he had to change what he was doing to be able to be with mom and to have a family, believing that the Lord had called him, began to sell Christian literature, Bibles and books, door to door. They were for some reason called literature evangelists. Dad was very successful both in winning people to Christ and in sales. He quickly moved to the top of the chart and was asked by the leadership to take over the management of all the other literature evangelists in the state of Colorado. Dad did so. He was very successful then both as a salesman and as an evangelist. He was then asked to take the next step and become an ordained pastor. And he said he felt unworthy to do that. Having only three grades of education and being quite clumsy in the king's English, he murdered it. His tenses were all wrong. He used ain't with freedom. He said, I could not, I could not speak the word of God with my English. I'm a uneducated man. And so he turned down the invitation. And immediately his ability to sell stopped. He was grieved by that. They left that state and went to the state of Wyoming. And there dad accepted once more an invitation to be a literature evangelist, but he was not being successful. And by this time, Little Raymond had come along, and the Laramie, Wyoming church that we were attending asked Dad to become their lay pastor. He became their pastor while trying to continue selling, and the result was our family had no money for food. So many days, my father would gather us, mother, dad, and the three boys, and we would kneel on a bare little living room floor, 
and ask Jesus for food for the day because there was no money to purchase food. My brother Don, thinking he could be helpful, went down to the street corner and came back with cash and told Dad that Jesus had answered Dad's prayer and he gave Dad the cash and Dad bought groceries. This happened several times, and finally Dad said, Don, where are you getting the money? He finally admitted he was snitching it out of the church offering plate. That brought to an end the source of money, and Mother and Dad finally decided to use the last resources they could muster and move to Pennsylvania. And we moved to Pennsylvania to a little town called Sharpsville on the western edge. And we moved into the only place that they could afford, a tiny little apartment above a liquor store. And I slept on a cot in the hall. That was my bedroom. There, Dad began to sell Raleigh products door to door, and he was very successful at this. And so the literature evangelist for the state of Pennsylvania came and had dinner with us as dad was again functioning as a lay pastor for the local church and invited dad to become a literature evangelist. And dad said, I'll show you why I can't. And he took the man out and they could not get one sale. Now dad took the position that God had rejected him for the work of the gospel ministry because of his turning down two invitations to become pastor. That was a point of great sorrow in my dad's life. He was always eager for me to become a pastor because he said, the blessing of being a pastor is passed to you, Raymond. I heard that when I was a very small child. The Lord has passed me by, but he has not passed you by. Do not sin against him, or he will pass you by. I grew up with that. I would come home from college and seminary, and my dad would give me a spiritual examination. Are you reading your Bible every day? He was the only one in all of my life who told me to read the Bible. And then he would examine me in other areas. Have you sinned against God with a woman? Dad was doing this to me when I was in college. He did not want me to sin against God and lose the call of God to pastoral ministry. So as we have walked this walk over these years, I came to a point in my life where I cried out to God and said, why have you left me? I was desperate. This was about three years ago. Have you left me like you left my father? And the Lord instantly spoke to me. And he said to me, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. I wept over that word. 
But as I have watched you all, as I have watched the church, as I have watched this church shrink and then grow and then shrink, as people are sorted out, a great pain has arisen in my heart. I know the Lord has promised that he will not leave me and he will not forsake me. And I know beyond question that he has not left me and he has not forsaken me. I see his blessing in my life in so many ways. He has carried me. He has given me a wife. He has given me precious brothers and sisters. I know he has not left me or rejected me as a person. But then came the very painful question. Has God left me as a pastor? How is it that another man starts a church and it rapidly grows, progresses? Anyone who is on radio preaching what we're preaching, in my mind, should have a great response. We have almost none. And so I have been agonizing over the question, of why I've pressed my wife until she's become quite uncomfortable with me at times until she's finally said, Ray, do you want to just quit? Do we need to stop? The Lord has not left you. So he will bless you in another endeavor. So I've taken this to the Lord. I've wept much over it. I don't like coming at the conclusion of the battle to report the battle. But I did not have the courage to come and talk about the battle in the midst of the battle. Because I did not want to discourage you in the midst of the battle. But I come to you today with the answer that the Lord has laid out for me. He brought my heart back to 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. Now, as you know and I know, there is much talk in the church today about Elias or Elijah. There is even, if you go on the internet, a web page that is quite well known in the body of Christ, known as the Elijah List where many prophetic words are listed. And many would claim that God is moving in great power in the church today, and that if God is not moving with great power in your church, then you need to get out of that church and go somewhere where God's power is moving. But God is calling for a new thing in the church today. He's calling for a marriage between power and purity. The power part of the church has gone into all kinds of wildfire extremes, as was seen in Todd Bentley in this false revival down in Florida. That was all about power. Bam, bam, power. If you look at others, some I would not even call Christian. 
who are stepping forward as so-called leaders in the Christian church. It's all about blowing on people and having them go down. While on the side, they live very impure, unrighteous lives. Benny Hinn being the primary example. But there are many others like him. Creflo Dollar. You could name them. There are, there are legion. There are men and women who call themselves apostles today. Wagner and others. It's about power. But there is no purity. God is bypassing those who've called themselves to purity and adopted legalism. And he's bypassing those who have said it's only about Holy Spirit power. And he's looking for a new group that I would call the Elijah Company. And the Elijah Company is marked in two ways. Number one, they refuse to accept any compromise with the world. And two, they ask continually, they cry continually for judgment unto repentance in the nation. Now, it's the third part of this Elijah company that the Lord began to deal with me on. And that is, the Elijah company is for most of its life hidden away. Now, this runs contrary to all of my entrepreneurialism. It runs contrary to my American can-do spirit. So we find in the 17th chapter of 1 Kings, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. We are in now the days of Elijah when there is no rain of the Holy Spirit falling. Now, we can pretend and we can create all kinds of human manifestations. We can use human spirit to step forward and say, look at the wonderful, great things God is doing. But frankly, we have filled the church with entertainment to fulfill and to cover up the absence of the Holy Spirit and to cover up the lack of purity in our lives. A dear brother who I've had much wonderful fellowship with, nationally known, internationally known, preaches continually that God loves you and his mercy is overflowing and he will provide food for you and he will provide care for you and he will, he will do all to take care of you. Just trust God. Well, tell Tell many people in the Bible that our God will do those things. Tell Paul that while he's having his head chopped off as he's executed by the Romans. 
Tell Job that. As a deal is struck in heaven that will allow Satan to rip away everything he owns and his children executing his children. Tell Job that as God gives a deal to Job saying, okay, you can even touch his body, just don't take his life. Any gospel that is going to tell us that we are going to be well taken care of and peaceful and loved on this earth is a false gospel. It is not the word of God. The word of God says we are facing a cross. There is a crucifixion. And that's not a one-time situation. It is a repeated crucifixion, daily dying. Now, had you asked Paul, is your heart filled with joy as they cut off your head? He would have said with his last words, I love the Lord and I praise his name. My heart is filled with joy. I'm at peace. Or if you talked with Job after the Lord had accepted his repentance for his complaining against God and his conditions, Job would have rejoiced as God brought back double everything he'd lost. But Can you tell me, how could my heart ever be satisfied if I knew my two daughters had been taken? Do you think two more daughters or four more daughters or six more daughters would replace the two precious ones lost? And what about the sons? What I'm trying to say is we are in a fight on the earth. It is a fight that God has seen fit to bring us into to be weapons in his hand against the powers of darkness. There is a cost when we are brought in as a weapon of war against powers of darkness. And some of us die in that war. And we now are in the days of Elijah when there is neither dew nor rain. And so we see the churches dying. They're dying all across Europe. The churches here, very seldom will you find a church where the convicting word of God is going forth. Very seldom will you find a place in America where a pastor is living a life of integrity before God because the rain is being withheld Because we're in the days, not the day, the days of Elijah. We all want to quickly move to Mount Carmel. That was the day of Elijah. But we're in the days before. Now God is drying up the gods of America because he's bringing judgment unto repentance, which is what Elijah cried out for in his prayer closet. Elijah is the one who said, stop the rain. Stop the rain. And the Lord stopped the rain. We need to understand that Elijah was then going to spend a great deal of time hidden away as everything withered and died. But I want to give you the good news now. 
leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan and you will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So as even now the rain has stopped falling in small pockets all across the body of Christ, brooks are opened for God's people to drink from. And the ravens come with food. God's people are being fed in places we would not expect that they would be fed. And in ways we would not expect that they would be fed. They're being cared for. God has not left his people. They are the very cherry of his eye. They are the object of his greatest love and compassion. And so for me now to begin to take personally the drying up, the judgments of God that we have asked for, is to personalize something that is not personal. In other words, it's not my business what the word of God produces. It's my business to be interceding and crying aloud to the Lord for victory among his people. It's my business to be crying out and saying, Lord, open the brooks. Keep the, keep the flower just enough to live on. Keep the oil just enough to make that last loaf of bread. Do you realize this dear woman in Zarephath, every day for two years or ever, how long it was, every day she used up the last she had. I mean, can you begin to get a hold of what it would be like if you had nothing left except what you've used today and tomorrow you'll surely die if God doesn't step in and move and provide? Well, I've lived there. I'm living there now. Some of you are living there now too. And if we begin to take personally this barrenness and begin to say, God has left me. Then we're missing what God is doing in the days of Elijah. We begin then to grow angry in our heart or discouraged in our spirit. We begin to take personally the drying up. So Elijah's sitting beside the brook and the brook dries up. The word of God does not come to him until after the brook has dried up. Oh, I wish God had spoken before the brook had dried up. Then he could have filled his canteen and been on his way. But that's not how God operates. He dries up the brook. And he might even wait a couple days to see if you'll run off and try to find water with the Philistines. But if you wait on the Lord, he will say, now is the time to move. And if you're attentive to the word of the Lord, you'll hear the Lord and you'll move quickly to what he's told you and where he's told you. And there will be food and shelter. 
God does not desert his people. But it is not a blanket, widespread covering of God's people in America because the rain has stopped. You remember the story of Oral Roberts? Where Oral Roberts, the Lord began to stir in the congregation he was pastoring. And he turned their hearts against Oral Roberts. And he turned Oral Roberts' heart against them. He thought that would never happen. And the result was he and his wife packed up everything. Pulling a little trailer. And they headed for Tulsa. And when they got there. They stayed with a friend. And after two nights, the friend said, you can't stay any longer. I've got my family to care for. You're going to have to move. And Oral had no idea what to do or where to go. He's crying out to the Lord. He heard there was a little meeting that night in a tent that had been erected outside of town. The pastor, he met him and, and the man said, would you come and preach for me tonight? It'll be a small crowd. And Oral Roberts went and preached that night in a tent that sat 3,000. And there were about 100 people there. I mean, can you imagine anything more discouraging? A sawdust tent, those old wooden chairs, standing on that high platform, preaching to 100 people. And while he was preaching, God sovereignly stepped in and began to heal physically the sick that was in that congregation. And they began to leap to their feet and shout, God has healed me. God's healed me. I'm well. Well, the pastor who was in charge of this tent said, Oral, will you come back tomorrow night? He went back the next night and there were more people there. Within the week, the place was packed and his ministry was born. He said, I'm going to buy a tent with the offerings he was given. And he started his ministry. Well, that wasn't something special about Oral Roberts. The rain was falling. The rain was falling. God was moving, not just in Oral Roberts, but in many others. The power of God was flowing and moving and and winning men and women, healing, changing lives. I used to listen to Catherine Kuhlman. As a little boy, I would sneak the radio because I was not allowed to listen to her. My daddy thought she was filled with a demon. But I knew it was God. And I'd listen to her and I was fascinated and I said, that's God. But by the time I became a pastor, that was all over. The rain had stopped. So I agonized before God. Have you withdrawn from me the gift of pastoral ministry? Should I stop preaching? And he said to me, you're in the days of Elijah. Be happy you have a brook to sit beside. Be happy the ravens are feeding you. Well, I have to be honest. My preference is to sit down at a tablecloth and silverware and china and crystal 
and have a nice meal served? Well, we live in a day when ravens feed us. When you have to catch what you can catch before it hits the ground. If we miss this, our hearts could be embittered. And we could say, how long must I wait on the Lord? What brings great courage to my heart is that a Mount Carmel is coming to God's people. And he's going to bring those men and women, unknown, out of their hiding places at NIH or the Pentagon or a business office, a little church. He's going to bring men and women out of hiding. And the final day of the Lord is going to be a great Mount Carmel where the rain is going to fall and the power of God is going to move and decisions for Christ are going to be made and the sick will be healed and the dead will be raised. We're going to see an incredible move of God. But that's the day of Elijah. We have to get through the days before we get to the day. Now, how are we going to survive this? I want you to go with me to the scripture the Lord led me to. Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. The fifth chapter. I'll begin with verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions. Literally, he offered up prayers and supplications. Literally, he offered up prayers and beseeching or begging with loud cries and tears. That word loud in the Greek is translated by the King James Version as strong cries. The literal meaning of this word in the Greek is forcible or boisterous, mighty. He offered up prayers and petitions with with boisterous cries, with loud cries. The word cries literally means in the Greek, tumult, grief, or clamor. Do you remember in the culture of that day how they expressed their grief? Loud wails throwing dust in the air, rolling on the ground. That's what this Greek word means. Tears. Great weeping to the one who could save him from death. This is the model that Jesus has given us. That during these days of Elijah when we're having to catch our food from the ravens, when the brook is drying up, 
loud cries, boisterous cries. Pressing into Jesus. It says he was heard because of his reverent submission. We use two words, reverent submission, but let me give you the actual Greek meanings of these words. Reverent literally means caution, dread, fear. And the word submission is literally the word for off. I looked at that and said, how do you get submission out of that? I studied further. In reverent fear, in in dread, I cast away from myself, I cast off from myself everything of my will. And I say, Lord, your will, not my will be done. Jesus was heard because he would not pay attention to his will, even though he was sinless. He would only pay attention to the will of God. And so we find Paul the Apostle speaking about a living sacrifice, a living martyr. It's this submission that he's speaking about. Verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. This word literally, slow to learn, means sluggish or literally lazy. He's saying, I want to talk to you about this issue of submission, but I'm having a hard time talking to you because you're too lazy. Well, I pressed forward to try to gain a better understanding. In verse 13, it says, Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by consistent use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Well, then go back with me to verse 9 about Jesus. Once made perfect, and that word perfect means literally mature, complete. After once being made mature or perfect by what he suffered, he became the source of eternal salvation For all who obey him, that word obey means literally to hear under, to hear under. Isn't that an interesting definition of obey? To hear under. It's speaking about positioning myself as a subordinate to Jesus and to listen attentively to what he is saying, to hear as one under authority. Well, I thought obedience meant here was a law and I had to keep it. 
That's not obedience. Obedience is putting myself under submission to Jesus Christ. Under submission to Jesus Christ. So that I then respond to him as a person. As he's the one in authority. Now there's a word used just above this in verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Literally, this word obedience in the Greek, it comes from the same root, but it has a slightly different meaning. It means attentive hearkening or compliance with. So the word in the Greek for obedience has as a primary sense listening. Listening to a person who I choose to be in submission to. Mom and dad, wouldn't you love this? To have kids who aren't just willing to obey you. They're willing to listen to you so they'll know how to obey you. I don't need to hear from God. I know what he wants. I'll just do what he wants. What? No, there's a listening aspect to all obedience. It's hearing from him personally. And then hearing from him personally, acting on what he tells me to do. Maybe the reason God hasn't been talking to you, if that's the case, is because you haven't been listening to him. Have you ever finally just stopped speaking to a child? Because they won't listen to you? My dad would finally stop speaking and just go get a razor strap. The razor strap would speak. If dad's voice couldn't be heard, his razor strap could be heard. Well, God's the same way. You don't want to hear me? I know how to get your attention. That's Hebrews, 12th chapter. There's a listening aspect to this. Now let's try to bring this together and make sense out of it. First, I know that beyond any question of a doubt, we are living in the days of Elijah. And I know that in the days of Elijah, there will be an Elijah company And I know that that Elijah company is first and foremost going to refuse to accept compromise with the world. I know secondly that we are going to continue to cry aloud to the Lord and ask for judgments unto repentance in America. I know third that we're going to be hidden away. I know we're going to be fed by ravens, and I know we're going to be fed by the brook or by the widow of Zarephath, ways we never expected to be fed. I know the day will come when Mount Carmel will be once more called forth, and a great voice 
or voices will sweep across America with a standard of righteousness and a standard of power being lifted up. And I know that as that happens, many will respond to the cry and that many will be saved because the Lord is compassionate and kind and filled with mercy. So where does that leave us today? Well, it leaves me with a very clear understanding that I've been called to be faithful to preach the word in my place of hiding. And that each of you has been called in whatever place God has placed you to be very clear to Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel run the church today. And we have to be clear to them, the rain has stopped. Do your dog and pony show. Do your pretend Holy Spirit. The rain has stopped. And we have to be willing in that place to humble our heart and cry out to the Lord with loud cries. And wait on the Lord, obeying what he says to us. I've had a number of people from this fellowship in this past week say to me, I'm having a difficult time hearing from God. And my immediate response is, it's hard to hear from God when God's not talking. If God's not talking, it's time to cry out to him. It's time to repent. It's time to wait on him. But some have grown very impatient with waiting on God to speak. One example. A person very much wanted to know God's will regarding a certain situation. And so they prayed to the Lord. They needed gas in their car. And they prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, if you want me to go this direction, would you please have a gas station up ahead because I do need gas in the car. And I don't know if there's a gas station up there, but I'm asking if if you would make certain there's a gas station up here, then I'll know that's you telling me to go forward. Well, wait a minute. If it's not God's will that this person go forward with this ministry, does that mean I'm asking God to drop a bomb on that gas station that's been up there for 10 years? Am I asking God to take the life of this man and to destroy his business so that I can find out what God's will is for me? I don't think so. It's very easy in this time of waiting before God to begin to read omens. Do you know what an omen is? A license plate suddenly ahead of me, it has a certain scripture on it. I quickly look it up. Oh, that's what God wants me to do. I just had an omen. That's what God wants me to do because that car with that license was ahead of me. Well, now let's be, let's be clear about this. 
Balaam used divination when he brought the sacrifices and God spoke to him. God can speak through an omen. But it's witchcraft. And the blessing of God is not on it. Some people, they just flip their Bible open and point somewhere with their eyes closed. Oh, what do I read? Do not hold against us the sins of the fathers. May they... May your mercy come quickly to meet us, for we are in desperate need. That means God's mercy is coming to me. I'm standing on that promise today. You're making the scripture a book of witchcraft. You're reading omens. When we try to force God to speak to us, when he's not talking because we've sinned against him, or because he wants us to patiently wait on him, we're entering into witchcraft. We're trying to force God to reveal his will on our terms, the way we want him to give us his will. I mean, what would you think if your son or daughter went outside and put yes and no spun a bottle in the middle and said, if it lands on yes, daddy wants me to do this. If it lands on no, he doesn't want me to do that. What would you say? You'd say, you're due a spanking, 50% chance. You're in trouble. This is not a spin the bottle time with God. This is a time for doing exactly what Jesus did. Loud cries, supplication, waiting on God, standing on the promises of Scripture that he has given us, and waiting for God to deliver us according to the promises he's quickened in his word for our hearts. Not where we're trying to force God to do something or to speak in a certain manner, but where we're waiting for the whole word of God to come to us. And we're willing to wait no matter how long that takes. Or we're willing to obey whatever he says. I mean, for some of us, God has spoken very clearly. And you just didn't like what God said. So you blew it off and said, speak to me again, God. Maybe if I get you to talk to me enough times, finally you'll agree with me that I'm God and you'll do what I want you to do. You're my servant. That's not how God works. So in this time of the days of Elijah, there has to be no compromise with the world. A continual crying out for others as we plead God's mercy over this nation. Recognize that you're going to be hidden away. That you're going to be fed by the ravens. And that as we're in this place, a great day of deliverance is coming to God's people. And now is the time for us to press in, even as Jesus pressed in. And to humbly submit our hearts to whatever God gives to us. I said to my wife, suddenly the Lord is quickening to me again. The covenant he asked me to make. Will you receive only from his hand what he chooses to give you? Yes. Yes. 
even if I don't like it. Especially if I don't like it. The plan of salvation was not mine. The plan of redemption was not my design. It was the Lord God of heavens. And he's the one responsible for bringing it to pass. And he's asking me to play some small part that I don't even understand most of the time. Of waiting humbly before him in submission to his will, doing what he directs me to do with a cheerful heart. And I tell you, in my experience, I can't have a cheerful heart until I've had my loud cries and my humbling of heart and my coming into submission to the Lord God of heaven. Then comes the joy. Welcome to the days of Elijah. RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Revival in Woodbridge RevivalNow.Church Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at NationalPrayerChapel.com or our sister website, RevivalNow.Church We love you. God bless you. You cannot live wrong and die right. We cannot continue to sin and believe we are saved. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley. Listen Monday through Friday to Pilgrim's Progress at 1 p.m. at WAVA 780. The gospel is that Jesus, by his blood, will forgive your sin and set you free of all sin right now. Oh,